Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Fiona Davis is the author of The Magnolia Palace, a novel. Fiona is the New York Times bestselling author of six historical fiction novels set in iconic New York City buildings, including The Dollhouse, The Address, and The Lions of Fifth Avenue, which was a Good Morning America book club pick. Her novels have been chosen as One Book, One Community Reads, and her articles have appeared in publications like The Wall Street Journal and Oh! The Oprah Magazine. She first came to New York as an actress, but fell in love with writing after getting a master's degree at Columbia Journalism School. Her books have been translated into over a dozen languages, and she's based in New York City. Welcome, Fiona. Welcome back, I should say, on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the Magnolia Palace, which, by the way, is like so close to where I'm recording this podcast. I feel like I should have done like a live thing on the sidewalk or something. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you with the microphone, yes. <laughs> I should actually just walk over there and take a picture of me outside. Maybe I'll do that later today or something and Aww. post it. Anyway. Okay. So can you tell listeners what the Magnolia Palace is about? Sure. So all the buildings that I write about, or all the books I write about are set in landmark buildings. And this one is set at the Frick Collection, which is a beautiful museum that was the residence 
to Henry Clay Frick and his family before it was left over, turned over to the public and became a museum and is now the Frick Collection. And so my book is set in two different time periods because I love that jumping back and forth thing. And in 1919, it's from the point of view of this very celebrated artist's model and muse who gets caught up in a scandal and she kind of has to hide out in the Frick mansion with the Frick family after getting hired as the private secretary to the very temperamental Helen Frick. And she gets all caught up in the family drama, including romantic trysts and a stolen pink diamond known as the Magnolia Diamond. And then in 1966, it's from the point of view of a fashion model named Veronica. And she's doing this Vogue photo shoot at the Frick that goes terribly wrong. And she gets trapped inside during a three-day blizzard along with uh, an intern named Joshua. And she stumbles upon a series of hidden clues of messages that are tucked in the kind of around the artwork of the museum. And that leads her and Joshua on the scavenger hunt that she hopes might solve all of her financial problems, as well as possibly reveal the, the, the truth behind this decades-old murder in the Frick family. So there's a lot of moving parts. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I love how you're just canvassing the city. As a native New Yorker, this makes me very happy. I'm like, it's just getting closer and closer. And all the references you have on like West 65th Street, now we're on 70th Street, and now we're here. And it's uh, even the history that you, and I, you're so good at just weaving it in so it makes sense. But how Mrs. Astor is the one who decided to move uptown. And what did they, you had, there was a term for it. What would have been building? Yes, Vanderbilt, yes. That it was like a whole migration. I love it. I wonder if like later they're going to call it, I don't know, Greenwiching or something, you know, when like everybody was moving out to Greenwich and it became the thing with all the mansions and, you know, it sounds yeah. similar. Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating because yeah, in the, in the beginning, everybody was downtown and uptown was like farms. And then as time went on, they started moving uptown. And so you had the Vanderbilts building their French chateaus on Fifth Avenue in the fifties. And unfortunately they're no longer around because that would be wild to see. And then you have Frick who put up this very restrained comparatively an elegant mansion on East 70th Street in 1914. And his whole thing was to keep it very conservative and elegant and restrained so that the focus was always the art on the walls because he was a huge art collector. And so even today, as you walk around the Frick, you know, the sunlight's pouring in and you have these beautiful furnishings and that kind of thing. But every hallway and every room, you're looking at Turner's and Renoir's and Rembrandt's. There's 34 Vermeer's in the world. And I learned that three or at the Frick. And so you're in this house with this beautiful, these beautiful paintings, and it really feels like the Fricks just ran off to a dinner party and they'll be back at any moment. And I think that's the magic of it. That's why so many New Yorkers, if you ask them what their favorite museum is, it's the Frick. I've gone to a bunch of, back when I was younger and I would go to these galas all the time, not all the time, occasionally. Yeah. I had a girlfriend who was on the steering committee of that young person's party. All to say, I would get dressed up in black tie and go to the Frick for all these parties. And we would just, you know, it was like out of your book, right? We'd all be in black tie with nice, beautiful dresses and holding champagne and like wandering around because they would have all the galleries on the first floor. Everything was open. You could just wander. And then right in the middle courtyard, everybody would have this giant cocktail party and there'd be a DJ. And yeah, it was really <laughs> fun. It's for in the, in the before. Four times, yes. <laughs> the four times, yes. In fact, there was actually a blizzard one year, and I remember, you know, tromping in, and everybody was all festive because we, it's, it's like, you know, like we were trapped there, essentially. So anyway. Oh, I love it. it. It was really wonderful to be able to get a behind-the-scenes tour because they have, like, a bowling alley in the basement that really works from, wow. you know, built in 1914, and it still works. And 
it's just in beautiful shape. The way they, they keep it up is stunning. And I've gone to a couple fancy, you know, soirees at the Frick. And it, it is, it's amazing walking around with a glass of champagne and looking at these paintings. I think there's just nothing better. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, like, you can feel the, not the ghosts, but, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel the people have come before you. And, like, you feel like you're in another era. And so yeah. that's why it's such a great setting for a novel, right? Because it oh, even in the present day, it feels like you're not even living in today's reality, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And and the personalities of the Frick family were so strong, especially Henry and Helen, that it, it's true. It's like their ghosts are still there wandering around telling you what to do. It's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And it's also interesting that he built it knowing that he was going to donate it, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like that must have informed how he structured it and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because for example, they have a, there's a huge room in the back that normally in a Gilded Age mansion, that would be the ballroom, but it's an art gallery. And it always was because that, that was his intention. And it's just stunning. It's, it's really, really quite amazing. Wow. Well, I love how you crafted, well, both of the women in both time zones, time zones. Yeah. time. I mean, I guess you could say time zones. I don't know. It's not like they're on the West coast or whatever, but (laughs) You know, Angelica, who's really mourning her mom and really sad about that and trying to find her place in the world and getting by with these, which a modeling profession that no longer really exists. Does, I mean, does it in the way they used to make statues out of these women? And she would just like casually bump up against these really famous statues and not even tell anybody like, that's actually my body over there. It's crazy. <laughs> It really is. Her her story's incredible. And and the character Lillian slash Angelica in the book is inspired by a real life artist model named Audrey Munson. And her story is just incredible because she was this really celebrated artist model in the early 1900s where she posed for statues and that are all over Manhattan. You can find them still today at Columbus Circle, at, in front of the library, in front of the Plaza Hotel, in front of the Brooklyn Museum. And she's also carved in stone above the entrance to the Frick, which is where I first kind of figured out who she was and started Googling. And her life is incredible. It's, it's stranger than fiction where she got caught up in a scandal, which is very similar to the scandal in my book. And then she and her mother fled upstate and things just didn't go well. She tried to get into a film career. It didn't work. And she eventually swallowed mercury trying to kill herself. And then her mother finally put her in an asylum where she died in 1996. Oh my gosh. At the age of 104. (gasps) No way. And at that time she was buried in an unmarked grave. And I just thought, here's this woman who has completely been lost to history. We, we see, we pass by her every day and no one knew that she existed. And so that's really why I wanted to create a character who I call Lillian because I, I changed the trajectory of her life. Yep. But I just wanted people to know about Audrey Munson and possibly Google her and find out about her. She, she's just an incredible, incredible person in New York history. Wow. Do you have some sort of a scavenger hunt map of where her statues are? Yeah, yeah. If you go on my website, fionadavisbooks.com, and you go to the book club kit for the Magnolia Palace, there's a bunch of questions for book clubs, which are great. And then on top of that, there's a map of the various statues, you know, and she's she's everywhere and they're beautiful. But my favorite is the Titanic Memorial, which is on the Upper West Side, because it's kind of tucked away and it's her lying on her side, gazing dreamily at a at a fountain. It's, you know, with all the drapery, it's really beautiful. And so it was really fun to research what it was like to be an artist model back then and how you were lauded and celebrated yet at the same time, because you were posing nude for men, 
you weren't quite, you know, you weren't high society by any means. <laughs> the Titanic, the, the Titanic sculpture that you mentioned in the book too, that it was based on a woman a woman who sent on her maid onto was that that wasn't Mrs. Astor though, right? The Strausses. The Strausses, right? Stress. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that she sent her maid on the boat, but decided to stay back with her husband, and yeah. so they could die together. I know, I know. Oh. It's and and the and the memorial, the the sculpture of her, just really captures that poignancy. It's 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 really beautiful. I was literally when I read that, I was like, would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how, how sure were they that it was going to sink? You know, like, <laughs> how sure were they that the boats would make it to safety? What was the risk? Would you be able to be in touch with the kids? Like, I don't, I, I had a whole, I went down this whole mental debate, uh, but I decided I think I would have, I would, I would have done the same thing, except for maybe the kids. Cause then like, then they would lose us both. Yeah. How could I yeah. live with the guilt and how nice would it be to be? Anyway, whatever. <laughs> what, what would you do? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, I don't have kids, so I can't answer that. You know, but without that, kids, just I I would like to think I would stay with with Greg and you know watch the ship go down, hoping that we'd be rescued. But yeah. I wouldn't want to leave him. I think right. he would insist that I get on the boat, though. He pretty he'd pretty much throw me in the boat, so I don't think I'd have much of a choice in the lifeboat. But I would I would like to you know think I'd go down with the ship. Yeah, I don't food for thought. <laughs> We should do a little poll. Of course, no we one should. Wrote, you know. Speaking of Greg, you wrote a beautiful article for Good Morning America about your divorce and being with Greg now and your Parkinson's. Can we talk about that? Because I didn't even know about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, a, a couple of years ago, right before the lines of Fifth Avenue came out, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I was really kind of shocked because I thought at that time I was 53 and I was thinking, you know, I'm way too young. But apparently I'm not. 50s is 50s and 60s is when it does hit. And you know, at first there's a part of you when you get Parkinson's, you think, well, it's some, that's something old people get, so I shouldn't tell anyone. And medication really helps me with my symptoms, so you wouldn't know at this point. But it is a progressive and curable disease. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, I'd rather talk about it because I'm sure there's tons of readers who have it. And the more we talk about it, the more funding we can get for research. For example, what Michael J. Fox has been doing for years and is incredible. And and also, you know, possibly change things politically where there are certain pesticides and and chemicals that are banned in Europe and other countries, but are not banned here. And they're known to cause Parkinson's. And in the same time, we've had a 35% increase in Parkinson's over the past 10 years. Oh my gosh. Right. So something's going wrong and we need to fix it. So I just feel like, well, the more we talk about it, maybe it'll get people to reach out to their politicians and say, hey, let's let's ban these substances and protect our family. So what are the main culprits? Par- Paraquat is a pesticide and TCE is a chemical compound that's found in a lot of drinking water and everywhere. And they're banned in Europe and, and China and other places, but not here, which is crazy. So. Wow. Yeah. And the response has been just wonderful. I've had so many people reach out and share, you know, either their diagnosis with this or or a similar diseases like MS. And it's just been kind of, kind of wonderful. And I, I I just thought, you know, if I'm doing a book talk and my arms start shaking, people will know, and that's fine. You know, you just carry on. In the article, you talked about thinking it was stress related and that once you got the book out, it would go away. Do you find that stress intensifies it? Like, does it, does that, is that actually correlated? Yeah. Oh, definitely. 
Yeah. And, and, and so you want to, you know, meditate and eat well. And they found that exercise is one of the only things that slows the progression and exercise also helps with stress. So, you know, I try and do a half hour of, of serious cardio or strength training or, you know, Peloton six out of seven days a week. And I find, you know, they've proven that that helps. And so I'm all into doing that and trying to not stay, you know, not get injured. There's just so many things to, to balance out, but so far it's, it's been fine. I have great doctors. I have a great zoom support group. There's a bunch of us who are all women in our kind of fifties and sixties who have it. And that's just been wonderful because, you know, the disease is different in every person. And so you can't say, well, do this, this, and this, because your symptoms could be dramatically different from someone else. And, and so it's, it's been a real learning curve, but there's a lot out there and a lot of support and it's, it's been really wonderful. Wow. Well, it was a beautiful, beautiful article and I'm so glad you shared it. And I'm sorry you're going through this, but it sounds like you have such a great approach and tactics and management and yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Are you going to, is this going to find its way into a novel? The character? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're the first person who's asked me that. And yes, not not in a really kind of it's all about the Parkinson's, but in a more sideways way. In fact, I, I was asked to do a short story for Amazon for an anthology of historical fiction authors that's coming out this summer. Hmm. And that's from the point of view of in the 1950s, a classical pianist who's about to perform it at uh, Carnegie Hall and realizes that she has something called um, dystonia where her, her fingers are starting to curl in. And so it's kind of about her journey, but it's just a short story. It's kind of a, a, it was so much fun to work on. And so that's really one way it's, it's seeping in, but that story is really more about her finding this kind of village of people who live above Carnegie hall in these 180 studios that they built and so you have people up there, you know, people who've passed through there include Marlon Brando and Mark Twain and Martha Graham and all these, you know, famous people have lived or, or been on top of Carnegie Hall in the studios. And so it's just showing about this artistic village that she stumbles upon one. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
That sounds like a full-on novel. This is a short story. I'm like, why are you wasting it on a short story? <laughs> it worked out really well. But you know what's fun is the next book. It, the next book is interesting because I was trying to figure out after Carnegie Hall what to write. And a woman reached out to me who said, I'm in my 80s. I'm a former Rockette. And if you want to know the secrets of Radio City, you should call me. Mm. And of course I did and went down this wonderful rabbit hole and have been talking to Rockettes in their 80s, 70s and 80s about their experiences. And I'm setting the next book at Radio City in the 1950s from the point of view of a rocket. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it should be fun. I feel like I read something that involved somebody who was a rocket. Ooh, I love rocket stories. I'm going to think of it in a, in a little bit. Yeah, it'll come to you when you're not thinking of it. I will send it to you. You probably already researched this. I swear she was, and it was like bringing all sorts of disgrace to her family and her parents didn't want to know. And the dad was like furious, but then she ended up doing a great job. Yes, yes. I know exactly who you mean. What am I talking about? And then she, and she was, she like had a whole thing with the guy, the owner who was like this famous guy. Was it Nicola Harrison's new book? Was it The Showgirl? No. Oh no, that, that is, that's the Ziegfeld Follies. Ziegfeld Follies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and that's wonderful. That's such a good book. She really, in fact, yeah, she's she's terrific. Yeah, so that's the Ziegfeld Follies, and that's that was that's more risque. That was in the twenties, and it was pretty risque. So I can see why fathers might be upset. The Rockets are much more kind of wholesome, and and it, it's just been wonderful talking to women who were Rockets because they they just found such a sisterhood in, in the troop. And, you know, it was such a wonderful defining moment in their lives and they're all still very, you know, tightly woven today. It's, it's just an incredible story. Wow. I have a friend who was a rocket. If you want to talk to her. Ooh, yeah. I've, I've talked to a number. Yeah. I'll, I'd love to. That would be great. I promise a rocket this time, not the Ziegfeld Follies, which is exactly <laughs> what I was thinking about. But, sorry. My brain is like puttering to catch up, you know, yeah, no, what, I, I what I would like to extract from it, but there we go. <laughs> well, so that's amazing. How, by the way, was your event with Julie Satow? I oh, was it amazing? It was incredible. So for the launch of the Magnolia Palace, I asked Julie to, who wrote The Plaza, which is a wonderful book that we both did a, a salon with you about, which was wonderful. That, that's where we met. And, and she's just become a great friend. And so I asked her to do a, a book talk in person at Rizzoli Books for the launch of the Magnolia Palace. And of course, because she's a journalist, she just is, comes at it, you know, from a a really interesting angle. And we had a wonderful conversation and we had a full house and lots and lots of author friends came out, which is really the first time in a long time that I think we've all assembled. And it just happened to be the end of the latest wave of COVID. So people felt safe enough to do it. And it was just a blast. It was so great seeing so many, you know, familiar faces, even if they were masked, it was, it was just wonderful. And were you working on this during COVID and during the beginning? Yeah. You know, what's so funny is I got that behind the scenes tour in January of 2020 and that's great. But usually I go back multiple times to visit a building and we locked down in March, but luckily the frick.org has an amazing floor plan on their website. So you can go into any room and get a 360 degree view. Mm. And that saved the day because I could pop into the stairway and say, all right, if, if someone's looking up, how much can they see? And, you know, what angle would they have to be at? Or, you know, what's above the fireplace in the library? What is that painting of Mr. Frick and how should I describe it? And so that was great. And they also were able to send me digital archives of things like the payroll. There was, you know, there were three people living in the mansion, the, the family. It was 
Henry, Adelaide, and Helen. Helen was in her late 20s at that point. And they were served by a staff of 27. And so, so I could see the payroll and who was paid what and what were their roles? What was, what were their jobs? Or they would send dinner menus from, you know, 1915 when they had a dinner party for 30 and here's who was invited. And this is, here's the seven courses that they, that they did. And that kind of thing is looking for those details that really help the book pop. I think, you know, you don't have to know exactly what happened back then, but if you have enough details to feel like the characters are embedded in that time period, you can bring the reader along with you. And that's, that's what I was trying to do. So it worked out well. And now of course the Frick is under renovation until next year, but they've moved most of the artwork to the Frick Madison, which is just within walking distance. And so you can still see all the art and learn about the family. And it's a really interesting way to view it. And it's gotten great reviews all over the place for the way they've kind of reconstituted the collection in this new location temporarily. Hmm. The reason I was wondering if it was written during COVID is because I feel like these characters are a little angrier than most of your other characters. <laughs> yeah, like the like sort of crossed arms, like whatever, here I am, like take me or leave me. I don't even really care, like whatever. <laughs> like that, like they, I feel like that's a departure. I mean, your other characters, like in Lions of Fifth Avenue, I feel like, you know, she was curious about like having this other life but she wasn't like super angry about it. And like, even in the Chelsea hotel book, the Chelsea girls, right? Like they were exploring in there, like in in the wartime, like, you know, wanting to act and friendship thing, but nobody was so pissed off as these characters. That's that's, (laughs) that's my read on it. Well, that's hilarious. Well, you, you know, one of the characters who I loved writing about was Helen Frick. And she was really interesting because she was a real daddy's girl. But at the same time, they really fought. And, and so she was, she was just a tough woman, you know, when her, her mother was kind of depressed and stayed home a lot. So she became her father's confidant, both socially and in terms of the art collecting. And he was a tough guy. Like this is a guy, Henry Frick, who was a crazy union buster. He survived an assassination attempt. They took the bullets out of him without anesthesia. Like this is a tough guy who you don't want to mess with. And she you know, met him straight on. And she was someone who, you know, when he died in 1919 was left $38 million, which made her the richest unmarried woman in America. And what was interesting is, you know, she, she was described in a New Yorker profile as a woman of extremely robust prejudices Mm. who, if her friends bobbed their hair, which was very popular in the night in the 1920s, she would dump them. She wore a pompadour and a bun most of her entire life. You know, she she hated Germans. She wouldn't let anyone in the library that she created, the Frick Art Reference Library, with a German last name. She fought with the board of the Frick for years until she finally resigned in the 60s. But at the same time, this is a woman who, in 1917, at the height of World War I, created a Red Cross unit and went to France with it in order to help refugees. You know, she she was just a, a really complicated woman and not easy to deal with by any means. And so by putting our character Lillian, who's a real fish out of water because she's not, you know, she doesn't know how to be a private secretary. She's not trained. So she's really flailing badly against this hard-headed boss, a lady boss. I just, I just really enjoyed that. And what's been wonderful is so many readers have reached out to me and say that their favorite character is Helen, which I really like because I think I wanted to try and make sure the Fricks were three-dimensional 
and showing their vulnerabilities as well as their strengths and their prejudices. And so hopefully we, we achieve that. Amazing. I love it. Okay. What is your advice to aspiring authors? And maybe part of that could be how you maintain this level of output and frequency <laughs> with your writing, how you accomplish that. I accomplished that because I don't have kids. <laughs> this is it's perfect for your podcast. So yeah, you know, I think because, you know, I, I got divorced and, and so I've, you know, I've created my own universe where I get to do whatever I want. And that is really, really nice. I mean, I, I love kids. I think they're wonderful, <laughs> but I just never had the inclination to have them. And it does give you a lot of free time. And especially, you know, I know a lot of friends with kids and as they grow up, you're suddenly like, oh, yes, I have my life back. So that's been really helpful. And I think the advice I'd give to a writer would be, you know, you don't have to write your first book by the time you're 30, you know, take time, go out and live life and go do other things, go have relationships and, you know, try things and do other things. And then when you really feel like you have something to say, that's when it's time to write, write a book. Because I didn't start writing till I was in my late forties. And it was only because a story hit me that I just really wanted to see if I could tell. And that became The Dollhouse, the, my debut book. And I couldn't have written that book in my 20s. You know, I, I was a, a ding, ding bell. I just had nothing to say. And, and it took a, some, you know, tough things to happen to make me realize, oh yeah, you know, I, I want to write this down because it'll be interesting to dig into it, really get into the weeds. And I think that's what good books do. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing some pretty flowers into this gloomy winter day with this novel and the cover and all the imagery inside. And, you know, it really transports, even though it takes place so close. So anyway, it's always really fun to talk to you. And thanks for being so open about your diagnosis and and all of that. So I hope to see you soon. Thank you. And thank you for these great questions. Just wonderful. Okay. All right. Bye, Fiona. Thank you. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com